Hello, and welcome to another episode of Otaku in Training. I'm your host, LB. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, CT. Hey, everybody. And our trainees, Bama. Hi. And Bran. Hello. So, it's been a while since we've all gathered together to do an episode. Uh, ski season started, real life started, and just all sorts of things happened. But we are back, and hopefully we can get back onto a semi-regular release schedule for this. Uh, so the subject for tonight's episode is the classic series Mushishi. Uh, we chose this series because Bama uh wanted to do this one and who were we to turn her down uh so <laughs> with that in mind i want to go ahead and kind of jump into things uh bama since you were the one who suggested this series to us i want to know a what were you thinking it was going to be like before you went in and now that you've seen a few episodes did the series meet your expectations or exceed or fall below where did it land after you watched a few episodes well i decided i wanted to see it i'd been uh, seeing um, articles about it online calling it very atmospheric and beautiful and so i think i was kind of going into it going into it with a almost a ghibli mindset it is not Ghibli. It's different, but it's still beautiful. So I, I it was not what I was expecting, but I was not disappointed, if that makes any sense. Sure. Uh, where were you actually seeing Mushishi talked about? It's been a number of years, even since the second season, which no one thought they were going to get. Uh, came about, so I'm sort of curious where you had run across it that uh, piqued your interest. Mostly um, places like CBR.com and um, gosh, I can't remember the Screen Rant is the other one. Google, I'm not subscribed to either, but Google constantly suggests them to me. Uh, lists mm. of beautiful anime you've probably overlooked. And, and that sort uh, of okay. thing. Okay, so some more of a list thing rather than like an article about it, but right. one of those compilations. And, and Mushishi just popped up fairly regularly, and I was like, okay, this looks like the sort of thing I might ought to uh, actually watch. And and none of your personal connections had uh, familiarity with it or, or direct recommendation? Because I know sometimes you've pulled in or or know things through other people talking about it and wanting you to watch it not this time this was this was all me and uh google deciding that i like anime <laughs> just raw inspiration we have influenced you enough to influence your algorithms go <laughs> us <laughs> So, Bran, I want to go ahead and I want to bring you in as well. You've missed the last couple of episodes because of, you know, your life commitments, which is fine, I suppose, yeah. if you're into that sort of thing. 
Um, but you kind of jumped in and kind of dove back in head first. So I'm kind of curious, uh, same question to you really is, did you have any kind of familiarity before you heard that we were doing this one? And did you have any kind of expectations going into it? Uh, I had zero expectations. I had never heard of it. Um, I, I just stepped into it i was like i can see too just like looking at like the key art for it where you get like a sort of ghibli vibe um but yeah no i had no idea what i was getting into um but i definitely agree like my first impression even in like the first episode i was just like 30 seconds in and i was like man this is really pretty <laughs> i've think that's one of the things that uh that gives it i don't want to i don't want to say notoriety that's not the right word but it ends up on a lot of uh you know people's three by threes sort of mm -hmm. and sometimes it may come across a little bit more uh, interpreted as a bit more pretentiously but uh i mean some of that's going to come out as we as we discuss it, but uh, for sure, it does, it does have legs in the community that I I think one wouldn't usually attribute to uh, to something like this. But uh, hmm. so I guess I guess back at you and me, LB. When uh, yeah, I was about to actually ask you because okay. I know that you've seen this series before or at least part of it, I think. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, how long has it been since you've revisited this series yourself? I have watched all of this before. Uh, I haven't really revisited it since then, because the first season happened in my time away, 2005. I was not really watching anything and availability was very much you had to go out of your way to pirate stuff from from online uh so what happened was i was tapped into the community enough that when everyone was shocked that it got a season two and that's when uh, that's when it came to my attention and so i think i watched all of it out of order in that uh, I believe that the second passage was the only part that was available streaming for a while, and then someone picked up season one. I might be mistaken on that, but it was one of those things that because I was watching seasonally at that point, I watched it seasonally, and then I would eventually go back and watch, watch all of it. Uh, and it's weird to have a show where you realize it doesn't matter what order you watch it in <laughs> in fact there were probably times during some of the some of the things where i may have accidentally watched like some of uh second passage and then went back to the original and then accidentally continued second passage and then went back <laughs> again and may not have even noticed it it is that kind of show so that's uh that's how I picked it up, and uh, right, I didn't have any particular expectations going through, except a little bit of the community appreciation of it at the time, 
Uh, I'm, and then did, otherwise, did someone just have a plane fly over their head? I I think so. No, that was a uh, actually motor talk. Actually, maybe there was definitely a sound coming from outside my house. Sorry about that, y'all. That's me. No, it's fine. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure real fast that I wasn't just like having a stroke. Do you live near an airport now? Is that the... I do not. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was actually just a redneck who uh, is probably very proud of how loud his truck is. I see. If I had to guess. That, that makes sense. Okay, but anyways, getting back Sorry. on topic for a moment there. So, alright. Um, for me, my experience with this series is quite... I don't want to say varied, but it's different from everyone else's in that I actually had some familiarity with this series when it was first released way, way, way back in the day. I was remember I remember this series getting released by Funimation and I was reviewing everything I could get my hands on at the time and this just happened to be one of the things that I stuck into my DVD player having no idea what it was and I have to be the contrarian and say that I wasn't wild about this series when I first watched it way back in the day and that kind of colored me going forward for the years i never watched a second season because i just didn't i remembered not really enjoying the first season so i never went back to it when it got a second season and then going back to it now i have to admit that a lot of my opinions have remained pretty consistent with how i felt way back when i don't think that the series is bad but it's definitely not for me and so uh, that was definitely something that stuck out as i was watching the first 13 episodes by the way how far did everybody watch because i watched 13 episodes but i'm not sure if you all watched all 26 yeah i, I watched all 26 i, I have special condition have though <laughs> <laughs> i don't know where i stopped <laughs> Did, it, did you stop with the bridge? Because I've watched it before, it kind of doesn't matter. I, I mainly watched the 13, assuming that's as far as we would get before having the podcast about it. But uh, I, yeah. I am a bit impressed that uh, Bren came back as enthusiastically and on something like this. It's just like, I'm just going to keep on watching. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> I, I got to be honest, like this show was kind of weird for me the first few episodes it took me a little bit to like really get into it and then it started to click a little but like i never hit a point where i was like oh my god this is amazing and part of that i think is just because the each episode is just its own contained story and so sometimes you're just like oh this story is just not clicking with me or this is just doesn't make any sense at all or wow that I connected with that particular story. Um, and so like, I, I definitely 
enjoyed it and found it interesting, but like I never hit like a super high with the show, but having, you know, now a five month old baby, there's lots of feeding times to fill. So I was like, you know what? I could find something else to watch or I could just hit next episode (laughs) and I just kind (laughs) of sailed through. Now here's, here's something uh, that has ties to both of you, uh, and LB. It's uh, I recall that you've uh, <laughs> more trucks. Uh, I recall that you've described <laughs> the series like <laughs> like Arya before, as I don't know, like eyeball Valium or uh, <laughs> something like that. Just just something that is so <laughs> mellow that it uh, uh, puts you to sleep. Is that yeah? Is I that described some, some of the way that yeah, Bushi I described hit series you? as this pretty much as the anime equivalent of lithium. Lithium. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, now, that, do you get aspects of that from Mushishi, or is it that you're not sort of lulled into the the unearthly nature of it? Because I know I've fallen asleep to Mushishi a number of times. <laughs> you watch it late at night, and they're like, oh, man, what episode is playing now? What happened to time? Uh, so I don't, I don't know if uh, uh, it had that kind of reaction for you. And I'm curious if uh, this is the kind of thing that, that for Bran, you know, did the music and atmosphere do something for your infant that uh, put them to sleep (laughs) quite quite the opposite she she would usually finish her bottle about like 15 minutes in and unfortunately the mixing of the uh, music and the uh, voiceover did not quite gel and so like Mm. i had to turn it up to be able to hear people talking and then it would start going with the bells and she's like Mm. in the middle of falling into like a post bottle coma and then (laughs) she's just like oh what the hell was that i'm just like the mushi coming (laughs) so uh i uh i I tended to put the headphones on at that point Ah. (laughs) but the music i did i did find the music kind of um there, it absolutely was an atmosphere. The, the the visuals and the music, and did meld with the story in such a way that it, it's. I, I keep thinking of, what is it the uh, dictionary of unusual sorrows or something like that, mm. um, oh, where it's yes. just like a, yeah, it's it's basically a linguist who comes up with words that describe super particular feelings, and like. I can't really describe the kinds of specific feelings that this like is dealing in. There's, there's usually some kind of like something somber about, especially like the first 13 episodes, um, but also a little bit hopeful. So yeah, I I don't really, (laughs) it's really hard to on a large scale to even talk about it as a whole, because I think it, is hitting very particular notes depending on the episode, but it is still kind of like a contemplative show overall. Understandable. Uh, 
so Bama, when you were starting and going through, at what point was there a point at which it kind of clicked in? Or was it something that you just sort of rode along like a sine wave from the beginning? <laughs> Where how did the uh, the effects of of each episode you know go through as they progressed? Were there any that uh, that uh, you you crested or troughed on, or was it just sort of a a slow ride through the uh, through the arc? I want to say it was a slow ride, but. I would be remiss if I did not admit somewhat guiltily that I did have very strange dreams after seeing tender horns. <laughs> so it, it, it absolutely crept into my sleep and, and um, I, I found that to be kind of fascinating. <laughs> the, the, the horns were just so weird and, and surreal the whole thing reminded me a lot of ghost stories, really, but less creepy and more interesting. Although there was there, there was enough of a, a of a creepy atmosphere to it, to where it 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 really did remind me of um, you know when you're in elementary school and you're in brownies or juniors and you're gathered around the campfire and you're telling excruciatingly G-rated ghost stories. That's <laughs> kind of what it reminded me of. <laughs> if, I could, if I'd had some s'mores, I would have been set, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it was scary because the boy couldn't hear things. Yeah. <laughs> instead, of, instead of just like, and then you were dead though, it's like existential horror g-rated yeah pretty much and a lot of the episodes seem to have you know more more or less i i don't know i don't want to really say happy endings but hopeful endings the one that's yes. sticking out, yeah the one that's sticking out in my head now is the um i think it was after 13 because like bran Andy and I just kept going, okay, well, you know, there's, we could watch that. We could find something else to watch, but there's more Mushishi. I mean, we can just sit here and hit yeah. next episode. So I think sure. we got up to um, 20, maybe 21. And um, the one where they have the uh, silkworm cocoons. And yeah. the girl is missing her sister. And at the very end, the sister is found, I guess, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. It's not quite a happy ending, but it's not quite not either. Yeah, that's that's very much the show, I think, is there is there is an odd sense of hope in a lot of the show even though it seems like this poor guy is just wondering he like carries he carries a curse with him in that other people like end up suffering some kind of misfortune but it's not his fault he's usually there to help them with it and 
usually the people can't help themselves is the problem. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, I do feel kind of hopeful when watching it, even if it's a little bit sad. Well, G- yeah. Ginkgo and other Mushishi seem to wander the land, and they they are aware that they can have Mushi congregate around them, but for the mm-hmm. most part, they're drawn to an effect that's already in place or are summoned by someone with a concern that leads to discovery of Mushi. So you get a bit of a, uh, you know, an Incredible Hulk vibe of Ginkgo just wandering the land and never able to settle down anywhere. And that's that's it makes you a, a bit wistful for Ginkgo himself. But then again, his purpose seems to be just to understand and to help and to sort of guide people around the Mushi, this this force of nature that few people see or can understand and very few can do anything about so right. other and i, I mean other i feel like i feel i feel like eventually i mean we'll we'll get around to probably talking about this more but i feel like if i think that's maybe the hopeful thing about it is like you look at ginkgo and like his worldview and he's very much like a. I know this is tough but like you got to go on living right like and so that's kind of like who he is you kind of want to be like maybe he would want to settle down at some point and like put down roots and find community in a place but like he kind of can't but he does find community with other people who he comes across or who also travel like he does or he finds life in doing what he's doing um and i think that's maybe the hopeful part about it even though things are happening he just he still has life he still goes even though people always suffer some kind of misfortune and he's always showing up on people's like worst day or year or whatever um and he doesn't always succeed in helping people. He keeps trying. And I, I think that's maybe what the hope of it is, even though it's kind of sad very often. And occasionally he naps until spring, trying to help someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at least once he runs uh, off and spends a season chasing rainbows. So there is that. At least, sure. At least He's like, I'll help you until next uh, what autumn or something. Something like, like that. That could be like he could have been doing that for like six months, you know? It it is kind of interesting that the the sort of surreal approach to almost all the storytelling in here also reflects on time and the passage of it. Because yes. it'll cover a story and then you'll see some after effects that happen seasons away or uh, you know he's trapped for a long period of time in a place and you're thinking wait a minute you got, you got places to go and, and people to see but it's just sort of trapped within the one episode bottle and then he goes on to the next one and there's almost no continuity between the any of it just some implied continuity that while he's 
working with some people and going to new places, he's also revisiting other places. He yeah. is uh, a little bit, I don't know, kind of like Doctor Who, just sort of teleporting around yeah. <laughs> the, the Japanese landscape to check in on, on things whenever it makes sense. But he's not much of a character and doesn't in that uh, like he has an arc. He's just kind of a he's in many ways just seems like a, a force of nature or a you know an extent of the Mushi themselves since uh, there are a few ways in which they interact with people that can be helped rather than uh, uh, simply affecting people in unknown ways and usually usually harmful in the end for the for the humans who are stuck with it. Yeah, I feel like I, I get a um, particular vibe from Ginkgo in that he sort of reminds me of Columbo. And that he just kind of shows up to a place and is, like you said, just like this weird force of nature who just takes a place by storm. And then there's like a marked difference after. And like there's a mystery. He's solving a mystery, but he is a mystery himself. And I like if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I watched Columbo. Like over time, they started like leaning more into what who Columbo is like filling in gaps in the later like seasons or whatever and it uh it takes something away you know like that's the least interesting stuff that happens in Columbo it's like you, you, it was more than enough for him to be like oh I gotta call my wife or talking about Mrs. Columbo that's enough right and I think right. in this show in particular it's like they kind of smartly don't lean too much into who Ginkgo is. You do get some stuff about who he is and his life as it is relevant to what he's doing at the time. But aside from a couple of episodes, it really doesn't spend a lot of time exploring who he is. And even then, he's not necessarily the main part of that story, even though it is giving you a large part of his backstory. Yeah, they, they hide like one episode of at some point you realize you're instead watching how Ginkgo became what he is. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah, then you, it gets... you figure it out like, you know, five minutes in and you're like, Oh, Oh, this. Okay. We're going to find out how this happened. But you don't even know it's him for like five minutes. And he, he looks like every other young boy in every other episode, which has a young boy in it. Yeah, this yeah. is not a criticism of the show, but especially in the like uh, first 13 or so episodes, it is absolutely just like the simplest, like all of the women kind of look the same. All of the men kind of look the same. All of the boys or girls look kind of the same. <laughs> there is. Yeah, uh... I'm not sure if it suffers from six face syndrome or if that's intentional to really hammer down the, the yeah, idea I, that, that all humans are the same. I agree. You wanted to uh, mention about this, LB? Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask Bama. I was curious uh, with your experience, You, I know that you really enjoy like folklore 
uh, type stories from all around the world. Uh, I'm kind of curious. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. As you were watching this, did you come across any spiritual figures or folklore stories that you were already familiar with or was this all new for you and just you were kind of absorbing all sorts of new information or i'm kind of curious it reminded me very much of some of the oldest folklore the 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 very very old stuff that tries to explain very basic functions but no none of, I, I kept expecting to see an oni or a, a, a fox lady and nothing i i was kind of surprised i <laughs> i haven't looked into it but i'm i would not be surprised to learn that they invented mushi wholesale for this show that wouldn't surprise me and it wouldn't really disappoint me either because the, they got the point of it very, very well. I I was going to, uh, well, actually, that that's interesting. I was going to wrap back to your folklore comment before. To my knowledge, the author and Mushi in general and everything has no connection to any Japanese folklore other than the, you know the normal ones where when you're steeped in a particular culture no matter what you're imagining it'll have some connections but there are a ton of anime that are specifically about all of Japanese you know folklore explicit tales there are whole feature films that uh like the tale of Princess Kaguya, which uses one as a, a foundation of, of something uh, uh, epic and artistic. But this is one of those things that I think all of the lore is self-built and, you know, kind of comes and goes because you, you don't seem to have much continuation from one Mushi to another. You just sort of have circumstances being gone through. Uh, but I was wondering, you, you mentioned gets the point of folklore, and I'm not sure I agree with that, because a lot of folklore to me, and that maybe this is where your experience can can do more, is the, you know, the vignettes usually involve some level of morality tale or has a particular theme to it or an explanation of something and you know like greek mythology has a, a ton of things where it, here's how this flower came about and it's very pretty because this dude challenged the god they all seem to have some connective tissue to build something and i don't think this show has any of that all of the <laughs> I think it has the opposite, actually. Right. It, it seems to want to insist that the Mushi are kind of animals like anything else, in a way. And so, but I think that's obviously intentional, too. So I, it's kind of like a, I, I, again, I'm not a huge folklore person, but that almost seems like a um, uh, knowing the rules so you can break them type deal, where they're clearly trying to evoke folklore 
but also kind of buck against it. Right. You 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 can see the lessons. You can appreciate that uh, once you learn the thing being told, you see, oh, that's how they went against it in this way and the punishment they received was deserved because X, Y, Z. So Bama, from, from your experience and, and whatever else you've consumed, are, are there more bits of it, which, which map closely to something like Mushishi delivers or do they tend to be, you know what what I think of when I think of a lot of uh, folklore and uh, mythology and fairy tales and things like that. Some level of lesson for kids, some level of morality uh, tale, some some level of delivering something other than here is this thing that happened. <laughs> well, the first thing I want to really um mention is that's part of why i said very very old because fairy tales and folk tales were not originally even for children and they certainly weren't a morality tale that's um something that i want to say peralt and possibly even the grim brothers really decided that they were going to add on they they wanted there to be a, a lesson involved so um i know this is doing its best to evoke something that's older than that um and the other thing i wanted to mention and i it's great i didn't even think about it until you started asking the question but if you're going to relate this to a folk tale um i'm gonna suggest uh anderson and if i sit here long enough i will remember the first two names of anderson (laughs) The Danish guy who wrote The Little Mermaid. Hans Christian. That's the one. Thank you. Hans Christian Andersen. Paul, because Paul Thomas did... Anderson. That's hmm? one of the Resident Evil movies. <laughs> I was yeah, that's, a... that's what his shtick was. He was trying to invent new folk tales that felt like old fairy tales. And he succeeded to the point where people think that sometimes he was a collector like the Grimm brothers and no he he wrote all of those he just wanted them to sound like fairy tales and Mushishi does a, the exact same thing really they want it to sound like very old folklore gotcha. did that answer your question to to a degree I think I'd I'd have to be I mean I know a number of things you mentioned Little Mermaid uh, I think things like you know the ugly duckling they they still feel like there's something being delivered through it whether it's specifically targeting uh, a child or the the emperor's new clothes there's still something in it that it it feels like mushishi is much more at a primal level of there is other and this is what can happen when it mixes near humans but even when you have someone who rebels against you have to move forward you can't move backward or the bridge will collapse and you'll die it's simply 
it's not like he did something that cost him his life. He just couldn't imagine life without his, uh, uh, without his love. And it, you know, just ends up being sort of a lover's suicide kind of thing. Just Mushi enabled. She'd already fallen right. down once, but he had years of pseudo life with her. He couldn't really understand it and he couldn't deal with it. But it's not like it was something to learn from or something that was punishing him specifically. It, it just happened. Yeah. Uh, so I think him, so. I think two things. I think you might be slightly conflating fables with folklore. Um, and then I do think to an extent, especially a lot of these episodes, I think is showing that like a lot of these characters are trapped in whatever space they're in, whatever story they're in. Cause like a, a lot of these episodes are actually do involve sort of folklore where, well, you know, every so often a person falls through the bridge or whatever and, but they don't die and so on and so forth. And, and there is like folklore. So it is, even showing like the folklore to a certain extent and then dealing with the human repercussions of that folklore and what it would be like if it was maybe real <laughs> or if there was a way of understanding actually what was happening. And Ginkgo is really interesting in that like he kind of, in the same way, like, you know, it took me a few episodes before I realized that like, oh, this isn't just like, this guy you know who you know a, a more modern story where this you know more westernized japanese man is actually just going to like you know backwater towns and villages and helping them with problems but he is literally just the only person who is westernized in any way and he is like sort of inserting himself into the story but also is only is one of the few people that is separated far enough to be able to see a lot of the things that are happening. And I, I think that's a weird, interesting quirk, you know, because I think a, a lot of, at first it seems like just a strange anachronism to have him different from everybody else to talk about how he is different. But like, I think it's, it's mechanical too. It's a mechanical part of the plot that he is separate. Yes. Andy and I were went into a very complicated discussion at one point as to what time period this was in. Because yeah. Ginkgo has all the Western clothing that literally no one else does. And, and we're trying to decide, you know, the boats don't seem to have motors, but then would they, I mean, my little boat, right doesn't i mean she does now and that's the other thing she does now but that doesn't mean i necessarily i've certainly I, sailed her without a motor i do have to say something that i absolutely love about the fact that he is so odd looking is that nobody says anything about it 
there's literally an episode where he uses a syringe. He uses a syringe for something. I can't even remember what it is. And nobody's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, they just they're just like, oh, yes, friendly. of course, you're going to, to use this device that I've never seen before. And, you know, maybe has never has not been invented yet um, to, to do this thing. And people just kind of go along with it. It's like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> I I believe it's meant to represent a time period shortly before Japan is opened up. So there's bits of technology that are that are leaking in and there's some uh trade going on in that Dutch post that was uh still allowed to down in down in the south, but I mean, it almost feels like it, it could be anywhere as far back as the 1200s because there's so little going on. And from yeah. the perspective of an imaginary timeline and these people who are just dealing with weird supernatural things, having some stuff which seems anachronistic can certainly work for these tiny sets of people who are the only ones who are interacting with uh with the mushi but uh yeah it's very indistinct but uh it, it the funny thing is it it's just kind of hard to do anything other than talk about it from a uh from a high level of uh just the overall tone and feel because i'm yeah. like what? what were some of the best stories and in a way i think you you were talking about the same face <laughs> syndrome yeah. i feel <laughs> like some of it comes from the artist but i i think that uh a lot of it were would be done on purpose in that they're not leaning into the usual level, short, short of a few people, Ginkgo, of course, being one of them, uh, that doctor being a little bit more, he's more recognizable, but he's not terribly far afield, but not engaging in the usual level of uh, what's called the Mukokuseki. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. Uh, you, you'd recognize it, though. The word means something like statelessness, but basically it represents what people think about from anime, which is, well, it's it's all in Japan, and everyone is Japanese. Why does no one look Japanese? Uh, <laughs> it's effectively the, you might consider it the Sailor Moon syndrome, where there are mm -hmm. blue-eyed, blonde-haired uh, Japanese schoolgirls and blue hair and blue eyed. It's yeah. where the, in some ways, the zaniness, what people tend to think of anime as comes from, it's just not terribly interesting to craft a bunch of characters who all look very much the same in hair color, hair length, <laughs> and oh, style. Okay. So when you don't engage in it, 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 it grounds it a lot more. And so in, in many ways, I think that it's an intentional grounding and in some ways a blurring of the commoners because the people you can recognize are really just Ginkgo 
and someone who's maybe crafted to be a little bit more, uh, you know, more obnoxious than normal, more of a personality, <laughs> maybe. But everyone else kind of blends together, and you can come back to this years later, which I just did, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't remember. Is this the one where the kid loses her sight at the end? Or the one where this guy has the tragic ending or the hopeful ending because you 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 lose track of how the stories were told yeah. and the characters don't stick with you. So it, it makes a level, I feel, of elusiveness to it that you can come back to it more than once and appreciate it aesthetically in the same way and you, you almost don't need to remember much of anything about the proceeds of what what actually happened episode to episode uh but i i think that's done you know with with some manga artists they really do have a very specific style and you can barely tell their main character apart between five different series because they're they're drawn with such slight differences that they're like come on man Oh, uh, yeah, um, you're talking about, uh, say, the guy who does Dragon Ball. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's entirely fair because he, he became so famous for doing that style that he couldn't freaking escape it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, someone like uh, Mitsuru Arachi, who makes fun of himself. Uh, <laughs> in fact, he'll bring up he'll he'll have certain archetype characters and they'll come in and they'll be introduced and then someone will make kind of a crack about the way that they look like a character from a previous series <laughs> and like oh wait no way i uh have this thing and it's like ah don't, don't worry the, the artist isn't nearly uh competent enough to uh draw that kind of a difference like uh this character lost weight or put on weight and it's like <laughs> Yeah, he, he's not going to reflect that. No. <laughs> and then he makes fun of himself for not doing it. Uh, yeah. So there's a meta humor to that. But but same thing, if you don't engage in it, a lot of times your characters will all end up fitting uh, a few design templates. And I think that that's very much on purpose here in Mushishi uh, because there's no reason for the for the people you're basically never going to see again, for them to have distinction uh, to a, a huge degree. So you get a lot of short-haired adult women and <laughs> young boys and young girls who all look exactly the same. And uh, in many ways, I think it just fits and, and feels into the overall mood of the, the show and the yeah. aesthetic of the show. Well, you were you were talking about um, not really remembering the stories, and a part of me was like, "Are you supposed to? Like, are you just supposed to experience this, or are you supposed to remember it?" I don't think you're supposed to really remember it, even though you know, obviously, this is recorded media. So, but it, and you it certainly feels... can remember it. It's right. just not terribly important to <laughs> right. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know that unlike it's a big deal most do, so. other work, it sort of doesn't matter yeah <laughs> which is it's, weird it's so very dreamlike that it almost feels like you said intentional you're, you're 
you're not supposed to remember it because it's like a dream and you don't really remember all of those. I, I feel like this is a, a work that reflects, you know, the Fey and the Feywild almost, almost mm-hmm. better than anything that's ever been written about that specifically. I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that sort of a cross-cultural concept from over there? I'm like, but yep. the Mushi and all of that just feels, uh, you know, like it, it's representing that primal strangeness better than uh, better than most other you know, fiction that I can think of. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> I got a very strong fey feel myself. It's it's very often, I mean, the stories are just like, I mean, it's not this thing's fault that it's doing what it's doing. It is the thing that this thing does, you know, which is a very classic portrayal of fae and fairies is that like well what did you expect they're tricksters or whatever right like this is not just like it's built into who these creatures or beings are and yeah this definitely fits into that sort of vibe in a way that i can't really think of anything that does so 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 thoroughly you're definitely steeped in it and the mood extends, it feels a lot into, you know, the visuals of it as well. You certainly described it as beautiful, but it, it it's strange. It's kind of, it feels like it comes across most of the time as a very dreary color palette. It's whites and grays and very deep greens, so it reflects... It rained on nature and early morning form of nature. And every once in a while, it'll get very vibrant, often specifically having to do with the mushi. But uh, that that feels like, you know, another very specific part of the aesthetic. And of course, that's very much only conveyed in the anime because the manga would simply be black and white. So it could be... Uh, as as lit or not, and as colored or not, as as you could imagine at that point, it uh, it feels very fitting. But I'm not sure, Bama. How would you classify that, or or feel that it comes across? It struck me as being extremely watercolor. Right. I mean, I I, I don't know how else to describe it really it was very much a we're gonna have this this moving watercolor painting and we're gonna call it an anime <laughs> and you know it's it's beautiful i haven't seen anything quite like it before i suppose the closest thing you could really say would be uh, uh disney's sleeping beauty which was a, a very deliberate attempt to have a moving medieval tapestry take the same concept and make it a a watercolor painting instead and what about from uh, your eyes level bran as far as uh, appreciating the the visuals overall uh 
I wish I had better language to describe it. I think watercolor is very accurate, at least, I mean, to an extent, right? Like the way it, it definitely portrays different elements in different ways because the houses, for instance, aren't really uh, given that sort of watercolor treatment, whereas nature very much is. Uh, a lot of the trees and things, like, rather than having, like, detail and, and a wide, uh, uh, very precise shading or anything, it's just, like, you can almost see, like, where the brush started and where it stopped, and the color is just lighter as it travels. And I think it really does give it a sort of natural look um whereas that's not necessarily true of a lot of other things even certain um more manicured areas like in villages don't quite have that same look to it and i think it comes a i think it does a good job of uh setting vibes basically for what kind of things are happening um it is very striking actually despite the fact that as you said the palette is not super wide but they do actually work a lot within it lb we haven't heard from you in a while yeah i wanted to interject really quickly i wanted to talk a little bit about the dub versus sub sure uh brand you mentioned in our private chat that you sampled the sub for a little while and you sampled the dub for a little while and eventually you eventually settled on the dub i'm kind of curious uh what aspects of the sub like kind of turned you off and made you veer towards the dub in this case uh, so the sub, so I, I, I watched a little bit, so this may not be true necessarily throughout, but the parts that I did watch for the sub, uh, the way it was translated felt very precise, but it didn't feel conversational in a way. Uh, so it made, uh, the characters and especially Ginkgo feel, um, I mean, Ginkgo is kind of a dry character, but almost uh, lacking a personality um, and saying things that didn't necessarily um, feel natural. And so, like, for instance, in the first episode, uh, in the dub, he's talking about this um, cup, and I think he calls it like a wine glass or something. Um, and in the sub naturally they call it a they they say it's you know a sake glass or what have you and you know i'm sure that you know in a lot of instances it is more accurate and precise in that way but uh very often like the in order to get that precision it felt like they were kind of it, the language was being twisted in a way that a person would not speak um i wish i could really I, I remembered I had like a specific instance because uh, there was one, there was an episode about 10, 15 episodes in where um, for some reason the audio on the Funimation dub wasn't working uh, correctly and was all distorted. And so I had to watch the sub for uh, that episode. And there were a couple of times where 
like I was like a person would just not say this particular phrase. It's just unnatural to see it that way. And so it broke the sort of feeling of conversation and personality. Um, and I do think I, I did feel a little bit like everybody was kind of written the same, even though there is, even though we're not talking about drastically different characters, there is differences in tone that I don't think really came through. Um, that I think with the dub, because you have to have somebody actually saying the words, a lot of that stuff kind of got corrected. Um, so it, it didn't have the same precision. And I would bet that it is a less mythical or ethereal feel than the sub, but I think it feels more personable in a way. I don't know if this holds true for the rest of you, if you've noticed anything like that. Uh, Bama, how about you? Did you watch this dubbed or subbed? I watched it subbed. I had no idea that there was even a dub out there. I'm kind of, I'm very intrigued and a little sad. I, I tend to prefer dubs because then I can doodle while I, while I watch. <laughs> Whereas the sub, I have to give it all my attention. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah. I, I I watched it straight up sub, and I don't know. I I do agree that the characters feel like archetypes more than characters, but that kind of suits the genre, so it didn't definitely really bother me. And I can agree that there would be, you know odd language being used but of course it the everything having to do with mushi is the equivalent of trechnobabble so yes i did i did <laughs> think that myself i was like well if you just you know adjust the deflector dish and reverse reverse the polarity then you know <laughs> that's a thing a human was, would say yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely thought that i was like oh so in this story, we need a Mushi that does this. And so there is a Mushi that does this. Did you uh, dip into the sub at all to uh, make any comparisons, LB? Or, uh... I watched this entirely subbed. Ooh. I totally forgot that there was a dub. <laughs> so I watched it subbed on Hulu the entire way. Interesting. Yeah. I I wish I, I wish I could remember some snippets. It's just like there are certain it was a weird sentence structure or um, there were certain instances where like they would describe things in a way that a native English speaker just kind of wouldn't. Um, and so it, it just kind of broke. I was it, it made it difficult for me to parse what was the character necessarily being weird versus uh, what was just the nature of the sub being done the way that it was. Um, whereas I felt like it was easier for me to understand where that line fell with the dub and that like, there are certain things that, you know what? Ginkgo is just a little bit weird. Um, <laughs> so of course, for, for me, that's, you know, very much the reason why I stick to subs. It's sort of the 
cultural absorption and appreciation mm-hmm. level that I want, however they were casting and scripting. Uh, and that I've been so steeped in it, I, I don't think anything particularly throws me. Yeah. Uh, either, even as native English speaker who understands very little Japanese. Yeah, um, I think... I think you kind of, because I've definitely developed that kind of thing. Like, I was actually, I was cracking a joke earlier in the Discord about the use of the word delinquent, okay. which is very common, especially in, like, more um, uh, anime set in more modern times, talking about, like, school-age kids or whatever. Um, and it's kind of funny, because, like, I, I mean, my understanding of the way they're using delinquent is to sort of refer to somebody as, like, a sort of troublemaker but they don't say that they call them a delinquent which in at least american english is almost always used to refer to juvenile delinquents and um often has like a tone of like slacking but not necessarily like actually causing a disruption to others right being a, being a gang banger right or something like that's like that that, that's have, usually what the, the vibe of delinquent is like, oh, well, you know what? They're not doing perfectly. They're probably going to end up in a gang and like <laughs> it's good. It's going to be terrible, you know, and it's like that's not really what delinquent conveys normally in English. But like I've seen enough anime stuff that when I see delinquent, I get that vibe of like the impact that this person's, uh, I don't know amoral behavior like it's not even amoral but like to a japanese to japanese culture in a way it sort of is and how that like reflects on others and disrupts right the normal flow of things um and you do you do even like in that particular instance where we're talking about like uh, uh the translation of the word you sort of learn to understand what they mean and so you don't really pay attention to it necessarily you, you don't notice it, you you do the translation you just do it you know what i mean it's, uh, a, it's a level of non-conformity to it that we wouldn't you know throw yes. delinquent that but uh yes I, I giggle at this and i have a whimsical road to color orange for you someday uh, which is <laughs> one of those shows that, uh, <laughs> like, immediately uh, throws you into that kind of thing. I've, I've had an amusing connection with that sort of usage from the very beginning. Yeah, but, and uh, I do love that kind of stuff. Like, it, it kind of tickles me because I've watched uh, way back. My my dad used to have some anime that I would watch and you know you do get kind of used to the weird translations and god knows that video games japanese video games littered with weird translations and eventually you just kind of like understand you build from context and you get an idea of like what the hell's going on and you can just kind of read it um (laughs) but it is i i think it's kind of funny and it does i get like almost warm fuzzies sometimes for very particularly weird like translation like um there's uh final fantasy tactics is one of the my favorite examples they they remade that game i don't know like eight years later um and they redid the entire translation with obviously a much bigger budget and like more modern like 
localization instead of just like a straight translation and i still preferred like the you know mangled original yeah, version yes there's a, a level of love to the jankiness of yeah, what you absolutely. first appreciated something as you've made me curious about the dub specifically just to see how ginkgo is voice acted uh, because it, this is one of the things that throws me off. There, there's a level of, you know, tonality and evenness to a specific conveyance. I yeah. can't imagine Ginkgo's voice being different than his Japanese voice actor in this case. Yeah. And I have a feeling that the dub will have a lot more color to it and mannerisms that would be, you know, more American centric, but I feel like that's going to make me, uh, uh, yeah. that, that's going to torque my opinion of him quite I mean, a bit. Even though so, there's not much character to Ginkgo, there's still a, there's still a manner to him that is, uh, for sure. Well, well pushed the whole time. I got the impression in the sub, he was a little bit more aloof than he is in the dub he, he is i think more interpersonal in the dub which probably would have been very strange in a you know the original japanese <laughs> i think so there there are other characters in the if we ever get around to something like assassination classroom it'll be interesting to see who chooses which manner and how yeah. but when we when we covered that, that's one of those things where the Japanese voice actor for the main character, Koro-sensei, is, has such a specific thing that I think goes to the humor that I can't imagine it being any other way. But of course, it's completely opposite for LB, <laughs> who's probably watched the dub. Uh, I think you've watched the sub, but you've at least watched the dub way more often, so... It, it feels like there's something that's just immediately lost in changing the uh, the, vo the vocal mannerisms there, but uh, I, I have just... to assume that the conveyance of Koro-sensei's character comes across in a different, specific uh, uh, humor way, which builds its own appeal, and of course you can't imagine it being different from that manner. So it's uh, interesting I, stuff. I think uh, honestly, it's it's off topic because it's obviously has nothing to do with this particular show. But I, I love. I think the one of the best ones is actually Dragon Ball Z, because <laughs> I, I never I had always watched the dub of Dragon Ball Z, and Goku is basically like just kind of a Superman. Yeah. You know, he's very mm -hmm. warm and lovable, and like friendly and and then i watched uh dragon ball super when it was first airing and it didn't have dub it was just the sub and i was like what the hell is this high-pitched voice why is, Go uh, why like, is goku a 70 year old woman what, yeah. what's going on and it's like goku's well, not supposed to be smart but this is like oh my god he's so dumb <laughs> you know <laughs> different character and it's like i do obviously prefer the one that i grew up on i find it hysterical how different that character is though when you go from the dub to the sub or 
well, the sub to the dub, you know? Yes. But uh, of course you, the, the same sort of thing. And, uh, and since I think for, for a lot of uh, the U S audience, of course, you weren't introduced with dragon ball. You got in with dragon ball Z. Yes. So it was adulter Goku and a much different kind of battle heavy rather than gag heavy series. So, yeah, it it feels like one of those things that was cast very specifically for the beginning nature of Tiny Goku being, you know, a gag lead, and then mm -hmm. it's like, well, there's already a voice actress for for Goku, so we can't change that. I'll just keep going. Yep. But uh, I guess we would be remiss if we left. Mushishi without talking about the other main character and one might almost call a bigger main character than Ginko which would be the music mm. so uh, uh, I think uh, Bama I'm, I'm sort of curious how the soundscape struck you uh, as part of it was it a, was it a level like did it assist in a particular kind of immersion was it appreciated specifically for what it was doing did it cut in and out or or was it a uh not terribly well noticed i absolutely positively love the opening credits i've yeah. been having them non-stop for the past couple months <laughs> How, how sore are your feet? I love that ADHD. Oh, yeah. And the other bit, I know this is going to sound very, a, a very strange way of answering your question, but the best way to answer it is to tell you about many years ago when Pokemon Go was a thing. And mm -hmm. I was playing my first or second game of Pokemon Go ever in downtown baltimore and i was walking by the sound garden where they had these bells up like a big xylophone that passerby could just go and and strike the bells if they felt like it and it was always just a, a, a very interesting sounds coming out of that area and that was the point and I'm, you know, half immersed in my phone and there's this, this crazy Pokemon and I haven't figured mm -hmm. out yet how to turn the sound down. So <laughs> there's Pokemon music coming out of my phone and there's this bells in the air and there's the AR and there's this crazy Psyduck just sitting there looking at me. And it was, it was a very, very magical moment. I know that sounds very dumb, but it was very true. Psyducks are my favorite um, from that day to this. And uh, because those bells were so immersive. And every now and then while watching the show, the bells would start and I would feel that immersion again. And uh, and what about for you, Brian? Uh, you know, I, I agree about the theme. I don't remember a whole lot of music per se. It was, 
I remember I, I felt like soundscape was a great way of describing the, I don't know, background of the show. I did love just, you know, the various bell tones and things like that. It was just like, I could fall asleep to that, like in a good way. <laughs> um, yep. I, I found it kind of like therapeutic. And I actually, to a certain extent, I don't know that it was entirely delivering what it was trying to, because it took probably 20 episodes or something before I realized, uh, I think I realized that uh, there was a certain set of tones that they were playing when Mushi were around or about to like cause some kind of thing to happen. Um, and I didn't understand that for a long time. I just thought I was listening to some, uh, some ambience, you know? Um, so maybe in that way, it didn't necessarily connect the way that it was meant to, but I still thoroughly enjoyed just kind of, it put me in a zone for sure. Very much in a mood. Yeah. I think that the music sets the, the, in some ways, like you were saying before about the visual presentation and you have more of a hazier watercolor natural feel and then you go into a town but like did you enter at foggy break of dawn or yeah. in a high sun something else it, it sets in many ways you know just the feel of the scene to come and same thing with the with the music. It it reflects kind of an ambiance to uh, uh, where the Mushi interact and where you're getting the concept of like understanding from them. There's a lot of uh, very Japanese specific instrumentation and and sounds to it that I think you know fits the overall folklore uh feel to it so i i feel like it it's doing a a large part of the immersion for me uh which happens with a lot of the music and technically there is un unlike in many shows where you get a uh a certain number of tracks and they kind of get reused and recycled and this one is more uplifting, so when you get back to an uplifting scene, it tends to get recalled, and this one is over here. Uh, if I recall correctly, you have at least one new tonal theme in each episode, which also reflects the way in which the episode leaves. So it sort of colors the specific feeling you're you're maybe supposed to have at the conclusion of the story and it ends up be turning into the ed for it it doesn't have an ed like it has the one uh sore feet song opening yeah. it has its own unique outro that's used throughout the episode from time to time yeah so uh now for for you lb was that part of the not terribly well appreciation of the show or is that something that uh that compensated for you 
it was a compensation for me. I enjoyed the music in this show. I often found myself, I would watch the episodes as closely as I could, but every so often I would find myself kind of tuning out of the dialogue and only listening to the background music. Um, I found myself doing that more than once. <laughs> uh, also, the sore feet song. The sore feet song is a song that I've had on my iPod for years and years and years. One of the one of the things that I took away from this series when I first watched it back in you know two thousand seven, two thousand eight or so. Uh, was that opening theme song, and I immediately downloaded it, added it to my iPod, and it's been on my iPod ever since. Uh, even though I've gotten new little gizmos over the mm -hmm. years, that song has traveled with me from device to device. Uh, as you travel a thousand miles, a thousand miles. But, uh, yes, it, it's very it's it's very interesting it seems like an odd reach for an anime you know jojo will pull specific uh like classic rock things for uh, from europe from the u.s from something to to use as music it's stuff that's been around for a while but uh ali care who did this i think think it you know wasn't composed for the show but where did they just find some random newbie songwriter from scotland and be like we we want to use your song as the opening for our <laughs> anime it seems like such an odd very specific pull because i think you know the album that this appeared on was like right before the anime so I'd be interested in knowing if someone on the staff had a very specific connection uh, to it, or they were just looking for something with more of a folk feel to it, and, and in some ways maybe to reflect the, the bit of Western oddity that is Ginkgo as the only through line the show has, uh, and that representing, you know, what what ginkgo is doing the whole time so it'd be, be interesting to know but i did not find any uh interviews revealing anything to that extent sadly but uh good good op and yes i i love the background music in general it's uh i feel like it uh could be someone's white noise generator to go to sleep by very effectively yeah definitely and as previously stated, I have fallen asleep to the show many times. <laughs> it's like if I eat and then I'm watching this show, at some point I'm asleep. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, did anybody else have any other questions, comments, anything you want to bring up? Uh, did we have any particularly favorite stories or episodes? Just out of curiosity. Uh, that's a good question. Let's go ahead. Let's go down and start with CT because he's the first one I'm seeing on my screen. <laughs> Did you have any favorite stories? 
it's hard to come to it, but I think the most interesting one in process and other ones uh, had to do with the inkstone. Mm -hmm. uh, just the way that it it happened, the you know the realization that it felt a little bit more like an attached mystery rather than just coming on to something. You know, he's witnessing the effects of something, but has to chase it down rather than just go, oh, it's right there, and look at it and name what it is. Uh, I do believe that's the first time we get a recurring character and be like, oh, the, the Doctor will show up in more than one thing. Yeah. And uh, the Traveling Swamp, which was the first one also, is very memorable to me, but I I think that at least in those first 13 and of course the, the others can pluck from any of them uh, to mention, I, I think that's the one that that sits with me hardest. But, you know, that just means there are lots of interesting elements to it that uh, including with the resolution that I that I find more memorable, but you know, it's still not going to, in the end, <laughs> the ephemeral nature of the whole show is still going to eventually return it to the dreamlike state in which it inhabits until I come back to it again years from now. Yeah. Uh, Bama, how about you? Did you have any favorite stories? I have been trying to decide if I do ever since I started watching it because I knew that that was a question that would be coming up and I honestly can't find any. I'm, I, I, I almost wish I could say, yes, this one really resonated hard, but, but honestly, so many, of uh, they all did and none of them did at the same time. I, I think my favorite, okay, like but... I said, would have to be the, the tender horns because that's what I dreamed about. Or maybe the uh, uh, silkworm that was after episode 13. I don't know what number it was. I dreamed about it, too. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going... That one, I'm taking my dream and turning it into a subplot for my D&D &D group. And I would get more specific, but I think one of my players listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, then I'll change it specifically for you. Was there one uh, uh, Mushi and interaction that you found creepiest or most unnerving? And that may, the of course, still one be tender. With the, the one with the girl and everyone thought she was a god. And the, and the yeah. Mushi was living in her sinuses. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you have to understand, I have terrible, terrible sinuses. Y'all probably have noticed that because I, I think my voice sounds extremely nasal. And it's because I have ridiculous sinusitis. So right between the eyes is a, a place on the body that I'm hyper aware of. And, and mm. the idea that there was a little critter living there was... I'm... I, 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 currently shuddering i know you get this isn't a visual medium but i promise uh, my shoulders are doing the heebie-jeebies <laughs> uh 
Uh, how about you, Bran? Did you have any favorites? Uh, so this is not actually a favorite, but like oh. I didn't realize until about halfway through the second episode that I didn't see both of Ginkgo's eyes. Um, <laughs> which I was like, no, no. Um, I, I think probably the traveling swamp, um, just because it's like, I think it might be the first episode where it just doesn't, it feels like Ginkgo doesn't have all of the answers because like up until that point, he seems to go to places and he kind of knows the answer to whatever's going on. He doesn't really have to figure out much. He Maybe he has to be like, Hey, you know, what's going on, get some information. And he's like, ah, it is definitely this. And has that sort of Columbo feel to him in that he's not like he, he can, he will arrive at an answer. Um, and it, it was the first time that I was like, oh, okay, this is not meant to be some kind of like aloof person who has all the answers. Sometimes he doesn't know what to do. And he, it, the story is engaging in that space of like, what does it mean to, should you do this thing? Is it a right to do this? Um, the, the show tends to get into that. Uh, the one with the living God is a great example of like, well, you might be taking something away from a person by curing them. Um, and they may not actually want that. And, I think stuff like that is where the show is at its most interesting is wrestling with, well, are you happier with this than without it? Like this is now part of your life and you've come to live this way. Um, and I think so the traveling swamp does great. I do love the uh, chasing rainbows is also fantastic. Mm-hmm. And what else? Mm-hmm. Um, the I agree with the cocoon one, which was after the thirteen episodes, and that Mushi is also kind of scary. Like that's a wild Mushi, um, which is just the like don't get trapped in a dark spot with it, and then open a door or something, or else you just disappear for forever. Right. <laughs> like, so I would I say, like, yep. I agree that the living the living swamp has an interesting thing because Ginkgo is chasing it the whole time and in the end there's nothing that he can do there's nothing that you know the uh, the I forget if it was husband or fiance the one who was uh, chasing the the girl who merges with the swamp and it, and in the end it's one of those where you feel kind of like they failed but should you think it because of course it was her choice and there's still a uh, uh, encouraging ending at the end of it because the life it's just representing the life cycle of a thing which brings more life to the to the area and the fishing village and and everything else yeah i think it's like the first most obvious instance is the the subtitle of the show is was it the the cure lies in the curse or something like that and it's like like that episode is kind of delivering that idea right this person was at peace with that situation and like really felt whole as being part of this swamp and could not go where the swamp was going and the it is like she just kind of flat out says that she is sad that 
this swamp is gone or that she couldn't be with it anymore, but also like treasured that time that she did have and that it chose her to have this meaningful experience. And I think, I think that really is what the show is about is lived experiences in a way as unusual as they may be is living through this miraculous thing that happens and, you know, things end, but what happened is something incredible and I don't know, it perhaps fulfilling, even if it is something you wouldn't necessarily want to have happened. Do, do you have a creepiest or most unnerving Bushi? I mean, I definitely think that uh, cocoon one was mm. up there. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what the other ones were. It's so hard. Oh, um, <laughs> the there's the the there's one that's in a bamboo forest. Yes, I was going to bring that up. Which is where like, where the guy is trapped. Yes. Yeah. Goes. Right. And it's like I don't know that it's even creepy necessarily. Right. Like this person is actually quite content, but like. It, that is like juxtaposed with how I would feel about this Mushi in that I would be like unnerved by the fact that I couldn't leave this forest and I would have a hard time thinking it wasn't because of this gigantic white tree. Right? Well, uh, well, remember when when she born of the bamboo effectively kills her parent to allow her yeah. husband to leave, it falls down and turns into like a... Uh, yes. centipede <laughs> Goes yeah, like, galloping in the distance I'm like ah I wasn't was expecting that yeah, oh yeah. yes I remember that and I'm having flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that was a very unsettling experience right there and then it takes off and then it, you're it like it okay. takes off and then it's one of those things where Ginkgo comes back later and you have the raw sadness of he, the wife and daughter have died because they lost the uh you know the water that was keeping them alive yeah and yet even after that as a as an epilogue it's like something has returned and there's crying again and like did they get reborn or is something else you're like i mean they kind of turned into seeds right like are they gonna turn into those the the those stocks or something is this like going to rebuild itself and right, to, and you're and you're left there to wonder just what the heck happened at the end too. So in, in well, some ways, it has the most intriguing ending of them. Yeah, and, and I'm sitting there like also like so these people might turn into the that white stock centipede thing again because like <laughs> don't know that I need more of that. <laughs> but on the other hand, I kind of want them to because it would be nice That's if they, were they happy. still yes. <laughs> so. Uh... And, and what about you, LB? I honestly couldn't choose a favorite episode. Like I said, a lot of times I was having trouble focusing on stuff that was happening. So I will have to abstain from this one. Okay. And including from uh, Creepiest Mushi, it's, it's just all... Yeah, yeah. You've, you've forgotten it all already again. Oh, <laughs> One one more creepy mushi that I think is deserving, which might be a 
spoiler because I think it's like one of the last. Ep- it's the twenty fifth episode, mm-hmm. so I, okay. I, maybe maybe I won't mention it, but like, <coughs> go ahead and you can watch it, and I think it's pretty self explanatory why that one is so unsettling. Okay, <laughs> but, uh, I am intrigued. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You gotta. Well, I mean, you can finish off the series as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's worth I it, and it feels like you've you've had a a good time with that, which I'm glad to see. I think, uh, real quick, just because I watched all of them, like the first, there feels like a very specific tone change in the first thirteen and like the last thirteen, where the first thirteen are definitely more, uh, they're sadder and like things go wrong more often and there's definitely feels like there's more hope and positivity in the later episodes and i think the show does lose a little bit in the fact that it goes from you know consistently like a bit somber maybe um to this like well man this really sucks but people mostly end up happy for the most part um but i do also feel like some of those later episodes are some of the better episodes too. Right. And, and even the one we're talking about with the, uh, you know, the whole wife, he's freed yeah. from the forest and his wife and daughter die. It's like, well, that, that ain't too happy. No, <laughs> that's, that's how the second core leads off. Right. I think some of that helps a little bit more because you get to still see, more of the uh the doctor arashino sensei and then you mm-hmm. get the uh the the ink girl showing up so you get a little bit more grounding for one. the uh for the characters themselves and ginkgo himself in some ways uh, right like i said the, the community that he has managed right. to find for himself even though he doesn't like set down I guess we have so, wrung most of this dry. Does yeah, anyone have so any I think it's about for it, or we'll uh, we'll we'll leave it here. I guess that. Yeah. I guess that's that. <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead. Let's wrap things up. Thank you very much to CT Bama and Bran for joining me for another fun discussion. It was. A blast as always. Uh, good to be back. Thank you, uh, Brian, for returning. Good to have you back. Yes. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> and thank you to all of you for listening to us talk about this for the last hour and a half. We appreciate it greatly. If you want to give us a little like, share, or subscribe, that would be fabulous. Please join us again next time. We don't know what series we're going to watch yet, but we do know that we're letting Bran decide. So, you know, think happy (laughs) thoughts for us. Uh, And until then, have a great night, everybody. Night, everyone. So long. Bye.